This is a HeadGum Podcast. They say that book publishing is a glamorous world filled with money, privilege, and three martini lunches. Or is it? You tell me. I don't know. If you're like us and want to dive into the messy power struggles, scams, and unfathomably bad behavior within the book world, then I recommend checking out Missing Pages, an all-new investigative podcast from the Podglomerate. It's hosted by literary critic and publishing insider Beth Ann Patrick, who spills the tea on some of the world's most famous and infamous book figures. Now, Andrew, the show is taking Labor Day off. Okay. So it's the perfect opportunity to catch up on one of the most acclaimed shows of the season before the show resumes next week. <laughs> Must be nice. Yeah. Missing Pages is... <laughs> to take days off. <laughs> <laughs> Missing Pages is worth the hype. I mean, where else can you hear your favorite authors, publishing insiders, and a circus of NYC, that's New York City, media elites, telling the real story, unfit for print and perfect for podcasting. So go ahead Find Missing Pages wherever you find podcasts. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. It's Labor Day. Ooh. How are we going to do more labor? Or are we going to take a break? I never know which way I'm going to go on Labor Day. I yeah. Well, let's, let's just recognize the worker with mm-hmm. you and me. Let's mm-hmm. recognize them. Good job. Mm-hmm. Good job, workers. Yeah. Because uh, it's your day. <laughs> You can relax. Put your feet up. Listen to us. <laughs> sure. I thought you were talking to me. And like, no, no, I can't. I'm recording this podcast with you. <laughs> no, yeah, Andrew, you sit back, relax. Um, actually, you're not allowed because this week uh, on the show where one of us reads a book and tells the other one about it, you read the book. So I did. It, I did indeed. We are coasting off of your labor this week. I do appreciate it. Uh, what book did you read? I read The Lost Dreamer by Liz Huerta. Okay. It's I don't, a book. It's a book. It's pretty recent, right? It came out this. It's March? pretty recent. I found it. I did that thing where I just googled books that looked neat to help yeah. us fill out our schedule as we try to get you know read a few uh, lighter ones as we try and stock up and give old Crego paternity leave when his baby get, comes out. Put a few uh, chestnuts in the tree. Yeah, you know? put a few buns in the oven, but like the other kind. You don't store buns in the oven. You could. Like a squirrel for winter, putting buns, <laughs> putting in, buns the in the oven. <laughs> but yeah, you found this book. Putting it buns sounded... in a safe deposit box at the ah, bank. Great, yes. And I have one key and you have the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so finding an interesting book. What what about it sounded interesting to you, other I than think... its length? <laughs> <laughs> Just easy. I don't, yeah, I, re- I guess I realized that that might sound a little... <laughs> Well, you wanted something that you would have time to digest on our shortened recording schedule. That's what yeah. you want. Yeah, 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 No, it's a, so it's a uh, sort of a fantasy novel written by a person of color. I know we've read a few other books in that, like, very broad, like, not a yeah. genre unto itself, except in the eyes of publishers. Sure. <laughs> genre. Uh, yeah. you, you read the fifth season. 
Um, I think did I read Children of Blood and Bone? Was that one of mine? Yes, and I think you might have uh, also Akata read Witch. Akata Witch. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah. So just uh, I have enjoyed those books. I think it's been a fun twist on a genre that I grew up with and liked a lot. And and yeah, that's that's kind of what grabbed me. Okay, that it that it was a a work of genre fiction. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great. It's also okay. it's also nice that even though it is the first book in a series again, which I feel like I keep doing, <laughs> whether well, I intend to or not, it yeah. is only a two book series, and it's the second the book's not. The second book's not out yet, but. I can. I'm pretty confident this one's not going to expand to be eight books. Actually, yeah, you're not committed to a dozen book reading list if you really like this one mm-hmm. yet. Anyway, um, so I can tell you that Liz Huerta is a. This is, I believe, from one of her bios, a widely admired Mexican, Mexican and Puerto Rican heritage short story writer and essayist, published in Lightspeed, The Cut, The Portland Review, The Rumpus, and more. Uh, she had a story, The Wall, that was included in the anthology, A People's Future of the United States. It's been a 2018 Bread Loaf Fellow. I would love to learn more about what that is. I'd love I, to know what that is. Um, winner of the <laughs> the Lumina Fiction Contest, selected by Roxanne Gay, um, has appeared on C-SPAN, um, and has done creative writing work through the San Diego nonprofit So Say We All. It's the Middlebury Bread Loaf Writers Conferences. Uh, okay. Fellowships are awarded to applicants who have published their first or second book in English within the last four years in the genre in which they are applying. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that has to do with bread. I mean, maybe it's like our thing before where work product is equated to bread. Oh. <laughs> and so maybe. every book is a little loaf that you made in the oven to give to people. Or maybe th- maybe these people are rising. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. a bread sure, loaf. like a bread loaf. I mean, not all bread. Not all bread. Hashtag not all bread. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, She's based out of San Diego. Uh, I I wasn't trying to to leaven this podcast too much. Really? Hmm. This joke's feeling kind of (laughs) crusty. I can be a real pita sometimes. Like a pain in the butt. Pain in the butter? (laughs) Okay, let's roll. Me... Let's let's roll. We got. Let's let's keep. Oh, let's crap. Roll. Okay. Where does <laughs> um, in her forties? She's based out of San Diego. Um, one interview I saw, she talked about uh, kind of the journey in this book of at least one of the characters as someone whose like kind of belief system gets rocked a little bit, or mm-hmm. you know, moves away from a faith that she held. Is that is that ac- an accurate allusion to what happens in the book, Andrew? Kind of, kind of, sort of. Okay. Um, she, she mentioned that in the context of leaving uh, the Jehovah's Witness faith um, as an adolescent, and so that that kind of fueled this that part of this book. Um, she talks about finding comfort in a lot of books. Most interviews with her, you will find her talking about a lot of uh, books that she read growing up. You know, all sorts of fantasy and sci-fi, also like um, Ella Montgomery. And reading characters by white authors with white characters. And she always was like, you know, in her brain trying to map herself onto these characters. And it was not, uh, you know, she had to change herself to kind of meet these characters where they are. Mm-hmm. So that spurred her on to doing her own writing. Um, and she spent a long portion of her life working as an iron painter um, with her family business. Painting iron. Yes. Okay. Um, I think like 
iron, like wrought iron right. stuff that then gets painted mm-hmm. um, and other kind of construction work. And she wrote a piece for Washington Post uh, this year, I think back in May, uh, about listening to audiobooks while doing all of that work and listening to lots of different stories that she was reading and then also listening to books about writing um, and kind of the tension between like writers that she grew up with who then went on to, you know, your various MFA programs and whatnot, and mm-hmm. she instead, you know, stayed with her working class roots and then would be thinking about stories all day and would go home after work and write and or write down notes on her lunch break or whatever. She says that this, like, the development of this book took approximately 10 years just coming up with stuff sure and i'm sure that encompasses both this one and the the next one i think they're probably being written together and then this is just uh you know a a chunk that can be released as its own thing while she continues to work on the conclusion (laughs) well and this book um she said in one i think an interview with the nerdist maybe that this book because it's two like parallel character stories right yes Mm -hmm. uh she said that they each started almost as separate ideas that she had to kind of shuffle together into one thing you can i think if you read some of the goodreads reviews that that backs up my thought that it kind of feels like that for a while and it's only as you get toward the middle and end that you really see them converging toward a toward a common point but Mm. uh yeah i think that's i think that's right okay um just a couple of quotes that she's given about kind of this journey into this work um, because it wasn't until this book was picked up that I think she made the shift to being a full-time writer Um, she said when working in her family's business I'm not really good in the office or on the phone I have pretty intense ADHD so my father sent me off to be an iron painter which I've been doing on and off for 20 years I love that I'm a working class writer I think there are so many artists out there who are invisible because nobody tells them that they can do the work um and that's yeah that's something i think we are especially covering like um authors of historical record Mm -hmm. sometimes the Mm -hmm. way that their story has been told it's that like they do they did a thing for 20 years and then they sold their book and then they left that behind and then after that they were a writer yes and and i even just kind of mentioned that now and i don't know if she would identify that way um she also said, I like I think listening to audiobooks all day, every day, and working with my body and looking around at the other workers, many of them of indigenous descent from Mexico and Central America, and trying to place them in a story where they were sacred, where we were sacred, and it just all kind of came together. Because this book, it, as you said, it's a fantasy novel. It takes place in, I believe, like an imagined Mesoamerica, like... Central America, Northern South America, but yeah, not like you, literal you, one, right? Yeah, you don't you don't get a super strong impression of being in any specific place, but it is you know it's it's very like densely forested. You have a lot of uh, temples that, I mean, my my brain started going to you know like classic sort of Aztec sort of sure. pyramid yeah. shaped things. Um, and you know you're you're near the ocean. It's pretty warm. Mm. You know, lots of lots of uh, colorful uh, plumage and and varied wildlife. I think I think that creates the vibe that she's going for for sure. Yeah, she said that uh, she spent like a year in her twenties in Central America. It's where her father's or Central Mexico. It's where her father's from. 
um, and like would spend time going out to archaeological sites. And that's kind of some of the stuff that she's drawing from. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I imagine you'll tell me a little bit more about how this works in the book, but I understand there's a lot about like, uh, like going to some sort of dream yes. realm mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I saw this quote where she said, since I was a teenager, she told this to the Nerdist, since I was a teenager, I go to the same place every night when I dream. Like she, could go, she goes there and like hangs out with sea creatures and like sees, can like, I, I don't know if it's like lucid dreaming or what she's doing. It sounds kind of cool though. <laughs> I just have dreams where I like my hair and teeth are falling out. Oh, the teeth dreams, man. <laughs> they're supposed to mean you're going to get money or something, but they're always so scary. Yeah. I don't like it. You look well, at I them. need to I don't have like Wynab or anything, so I I don't have a way to <laughs> record when I have tooth dreams versus when I get money coming in. I need to figure it out. Fair enough. I have a few other things that are more about the book itself andrew so maybe better discussed in the context of the story anything else you want to say before we hit the break no i think that's good and i think we should take a break and then i think we should get on in let's do it little doggy all right <laughs> now a word from our sponsor better help andrew you ever get stuck instead of solving problems just focusing on them <laughs> instead just like thinking about them in a way that doesn't help or solve anything yeah sure that that sounds like the way i spend most of my idle time yeah like it's you know you have to make some critical decisions or you know make a financial decision or something and you're like well what are the different ways i could do it or what is why am i not actually doing anything or just like i'm sure that whatever i choose i will screw it up so like why why am i even spending all this time thinking about it yeah it can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem solving mode when faced with a challenge uh but when you learn how to find your own solutions there's no better feeling um and therapists can often help you become a better problem solver making it easier to accomplish your goals no how no matter how big or small um i do think therapy is a thing that can be very useful for people especially when they're like approaching big decisions in their lives or wrestling with the ramifications of big decisions in their lives <laughs> trying you to do like, that, you doing any of that lately <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about i just <laughs> think that you know you make some sometimes you just need to make a big decision and then you're you didn't have time or it wasn't necessary to think through all the ways you were going to feel about it mm-hmm. and maybe you want to talk to someone about it mm-hmm. you know i think mm-hmm. that's what therapy is good for yeah just normal stuff <laughs> yep so if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Uh, you get matched. Same. With, well, <laughs> uh, you get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey, and you can switch therapists at any time if you are looking for a better match. So when you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com/overdue today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com/overdue. Craig, once you get your brain right, you gotta get your brand right, and that's why I want to talk to you about Squarespace. Please Squarespace is- tell me more. <laughs> Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They give you easy to use drag and drop tools, beautiful templates commerce tools, all kinds of other stuff that you need to make a nice looking website, whether you know anything about HTML or CSS or JavaScript or Python or 
Ruby on Rails or a C plus plus or are you just uh, Microsoft Pokemon Basic. now? Like what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> Whether you know any of that stuff or you think I was just making it up, you don't mm-hmm. need to know it to make a good website with Squarespace. Here's some other features about Squarespace that we like and we think you will like too. You can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns, create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. You can gain powerful insights into who's visiting your beautiful website and how they're interacting with your beautiful content with our in-depth website analytics tools, including page views, traffic sources, time on site, most read content, audience geography, and more. And you own all the content you put on the Squarespace platform. They offer one-click data portability so you can pack up and leave if you want to. I don't know why you would want to, but it's an option that they are providing to you. Hmm. Yeah. How nice of them. Mm-hmm. So if this sounds good to you, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a Squarespace website or domain. I'm lost. Uh-oh. But I'm dreaming uh-huh. about a podcast that we're going to make together uh-huh. right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tell me about this book. Okay. Let's talk make about... Make My Dreams Come True. Okay. <laughs> All right. So like we talked about, this is a sort of vaguely uh, Mesoamerican uh, fantasy setting. It's not like swords and shields fantasy. It's just like, yeah, there's magic. There's like a creation myth that we can safely assume is real because of because magic like visibly exists. Okay, sure. And we're just going to get into it. Okay. Um, it is told from uh, two alternating perspectives. So you've got India or uh, Indy, as she's called sometimes by people close to her, uh, who is a dreamer who uh, lives in this the city of Alcanza. And she is part the dreamers are this sort of I, I almost want to say they're it's like a religious society or they're they're like monks or something. It's but that's that's the closest organizational uh, reference point that I can, that I can think of, but it's like people who have this gift of being able to uh, go into these like lucid dreams uh, where they can talk to spirits. Uh, sometimes there are people who have passed away. Sometimes they are people, sometimes they've taken the form of animals. Sometimes they're sort of like puckish trickstered spirits, okay. uh, but they go into the dream and they can, they can wander around there and they can talk to the the things that exist there and get information about stuff that's going to happen. So it's mm. sort of sort of a prophetic sort of thing but with the requisite amount of well, I is this meant to be literal or is it a symbol for something or is it like there's enough wiggle room in the interpretation to still leave an air of mystery and surprise for which these I'm people. sure is useful for the book to mm-hmm. tell a story around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. So that's one. In Indy, we've got. Who's yes. the other one? Uh, and then you've got Saya, who is a, she is a, a these, these are both uh, young girls. They're like maybe like 15 or 16, like, you know, almost adults, but right on the cusp of it, depending on, you know, the society that you're living in and the time that you're living in. Okay. Yeah. Um, she is living with her mother, 
and they are sort of semi-nomadic, but they've been in the same place for a little while now, like maybe almost a year. Um, and so Saya can dream. She can go into the dream and do stuff. Um, but her mom try, wants to doesn't want people to know that about her. And so she kind of passes herself off as the one who can dream and, and give this advice. And they ingratiate themselves into various communities that they you know wander among by by getting this advice by by asking people in the dream like oh this person is sick this person's trying to conceive like what what can we tell them to help and just using that information to to get along okay with okay other people um but they, their relationship is not great uh, her mother Isaiah's mother whose name is Sile um is very controlling and strict and Saya is kind of a little scared of her a lot of the time. It's just mm. not, it's not a very warm or comfortable relationship. Contrast that with, with Indy who is in the, you know, the, the dreamer temple with, you know, her aunts and her mom and a couple of her sisters. And, you know, it's, she has different relationships with these different people, but some of them are, are very close and warm. And, you know, she's got like a guy that she kind of likes from afar and she's, you know, she's, she's got more family and more closeness in her life. Okay, cool. Uh, so the, so you've got dreamers, right. And then you've got other kinds of people who can also do magic stuff. And before we start, I know we like talking about like a system that has rules. If there's, there are a couple of things about this book that I'll criticize sort of in, in stride as we as we go, I think the first is that there, the, there isn't really a magic system. It's just like there, there are some dreamers and there are some people who can sing. And sometimes that singing is like healing power. And sometimes you can like control uh, sea life like Aquaman. And sometimes you can make like a vine lift you up off the ground. Like it's sort of a, <laughs> a bunch yeah. of different kinds of singing. Okay. Um, I you've got to... like cheetah people who are awesome. Okay. And then you've got like the, the fire warrior guys who used to be part of this big, you know, b- big city of Alcanza, the sacred city. Um, but were many, many years ago sort of kicked out for causing trouble. Okay. But they still exist like separately as a, as a people. Okay. Can um, I ask you a, a related but tangential nerd question? I would love for you to do that. Okay. So, in terms of magic systems, mm-hmm. so, like, I'm thinking a little bit, um, as you mentioned earlier before the break, like, the, 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 everyone talking about this book talks about, like, the rich world building and kind of the magic stuff. And so, I was a little bit reminded of Broken Earth and how that, that setting does have a system, but it's also kind of scientific, but it is also a little timey-wimey. Like, it does narrative stuff when it needs to. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking about, like, I'm trying to remember how magic works in Lord of the Rings. Like, does that, would we, does our kind of modern, uh, you and me, like in a system, how does that map to what Gandalf can do? Like, can't Gandalf just do magic how he needs to sometimes? Yeah, it's 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 weird because you do get, like, actual legit magic words and, like, swords sure. that glow when there's goblins that come by. Like, they're definitely clear cause and effect magic okay. things. But then also you've got the rings of power, which are the vague, like aside from the one ring, which can make you invisible, but also make you evil. (laughs) (laughs) 
You've got like the dwarf rings, which like make you rich, but only in a sort of roundabout way. Like they're best thought of as, as like luck modifiers rather yeah. than like things that confer a specific magical benefit upon sure. you. Yeah. I'm um, just, I just want to kind of interrogate it for my own self. Cause like I do get suckered into a system, especially, and I then start judging the system based on how well it supports like some narrative beats uh huh. You know, but well, then so, sometimes... so what I'll what I'll say about I think why I miss the system here is you you can tell me you were the one who read um the Jemison, so I don't yeah. remember exactly. But I, so I'm going off my recollection recollection yeah, of what sure. you told me and not the actual book. Yeah. But in like that and in Wheel of Time and all kinds of other books with a more specific system, often you are. Give you're seeing at least part of the story through the eyes of like someone who is new to it and learning it, and they become the audience surrogate for you, like understanding that system. Yes. And because okay. the world and because the world is built upon that system, you come to understand things about the the world and the the power dynamics and the character dynamics and That's like different, great, how yep. different cultures bounce off each other through the way that the system works. I, and I'm is, sort of missing yeah. that a little bit in this book, just a is, little bit. Okay. Okay, like the because the characters already know how it works. Well, so yeah, so Indy is a is a dreamer. Now her story arc begins because she loses the ability to dream. Okay, um, that's interesting. And then Saya can dream, but she's not like a trained dreamer. And later in the book, when she starts exploring her powers a little bit more, it's kind of just like this is in my blood. This is in my bones. I instantly know everything that I'm doing and I, I am great mm. at it and I don't need to, I don't need to learn from anybody. The power is just kind of in me. Okay. Okay. And so you kind you find out what like singers, singers in particular, like fire warriors, their thing is that they, they can like make fire. <laughs> the, I love it. The cheetah people, their skin, when they get mad, their eyes get all cat like and their nails grow out. And they get like spots on their skin and they're like cheetah people. It's not okay. a big, it's not that mysterious cheetah people. <laughs> Dreamers, they go into the dream and they talk to spirits and they get vague things about what the future is. Singers eh, can just kind of do whatever they want depending on what the book needs. Heck yeah. So like if you're trying to outrun like an evil magical storm and you need to like call whales to headbutt a sea monster that's chasing you. Yeah, singers can do that. Whatever. <laughs> Don't I've worry never... about it. <laughs> I've never seen a Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. but from the trailers, I get the feeling that that's Doctor Strange magic. I just uh, the trailers are just Benedict Cumberda- Cumberbatch, Cumber whatever his name is, waving his hands, and then stuff happens. Mm-hmm. So magic, magic baby, and that's a little movies. bit. Ga- that's a listen. That's a little bit of Gandalf too, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so okay, so uh, the one girl has lost her powers, and the other one. Their her powers are secret. It's yeah, they're secret, and she's just kind of coming into them. Okay, um, but so the the book begins with uh, these fire warriors who have been exiled have come back to Alcanza, and their their sort of leader is this guy Alcan, who was the banished. And forgive me because it's been a while since I read the very first chapter of the book. I don't remember the exact reason why he was banished but he was banished as okay. a child. Uh, so he's, he's the son of the old king. The old king has just died. Um, the last dream that Indy had is a prophecy 
about the king and Alcan and her that the king asked her to keep secret right before, like as his dying wish. Mm. Um, but Alcan has come to Alcanza and is like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be the king of this place, but he's kind of a, he's kind of a poop head and he, kind of, he's, <laughs> he's, he doesn't really respect the traditions and he kind of, and he hates the dreamers who are this big, like, you know, institution, but they also don't have their own like militia or enforcement mechanisms. Like if oh. a bunch of people who can fling fire out of their hands, come and decide that they want to make trouble for the dreamers. They just kind of can do that because, Unfortunately, as with so many societies, this one is held together by a lot of norms that people oh, no. eventually come to realize that they don't need to respect. Uh-oh. There's a reason. Yeah. Crossing the Rubicon is a powerful metaphor. And it's and it is. So this, this opening thing, which is like this big, this sort of destabilizing event drives all this conversation about th- throughout this book about how. You know, it's it's this is pretty common for a lot of fantasy stuff like the world is cyclical and there are and there are like chaotic times of destruction and transition. And then there are peaceful times Mm. of, you know, of of contentment and tranquility. Yeah. (laughs) And we are ending a peaceful time and we are ramping up into a chaos time. And these are just these are just cycles that happen. You know, when the, every time rebirth needs to happen, there are these couple of snakes who come. One time they shed their skin and it made all the mountains and stuff. Like, it, it's a very, mm. it's simultaneously very dreamy and myth-like, but also people are just like, yeah, that happened. Yeah, it happened. <laughs> but the, so the, I think you get this the most through the dreamers, and then you don't really, I mean, everybody <laughs> talks about how there used to be more magic in the world, but also everybody, like literally everybody you meet is a magic user or secret magic user. So as a reader, you don't get a great sense of this, <laughs> but they say over and over again, you know, these gifts used to be more common and they've been slowly mm. getting rarer and weaker over the generations and like this, the status quo that they helped to usher in and maintain is is also going to weaken and, and fall away okay resource scarcity sure if the resources yeah some kinds of magic i guess yes yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> if everybody's if everybody's you know eating good at, at the magic buffet but then all of a sudden they run out of chicken nuggets well people are going to get upset this is a fantastic picture that you're painting and i'm not going to help you <laughs> That's fine. I just want to hear where I'm it's over going. here eating the dino nuggets, but Shut now we're running out of them. <laughs> I'm hoarding them for myself, or I'm just running out of them and getting angry about it. So as so we're getting in this time of chaos, right, Mister yeah. Dino Nuggets, and yep. <laughs> and there's this prophecy of this lost dreamer, this dreamer who the Alcanza dreamers don't know about. There is a there's an impression. So it's a Indy's mom. Who's kind of the de facto leader of the dreamers. And then, uh, Indy's mom has a couple of aunts who are kind of sort of critical of her leadership in some ways. Like they think that she dreams small because she kind of instructs everybody to keep their, not to explore the dream too much, just to focus on being in Alcanza and around Alcanza. And by focusing on it, We'll see everything that's coming. We'll see everything that's going to affect it and we'll be able to keep it safe. And 
I think that 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 sort of parallels the wider like fading of of magic in this world is like the people who are best at it are also very like insular and not maybe not exercising their gifts to their fullest uh, yeah. abilities. Yeah, that sounds like a problem. Yeah, it sounds like a problem. Um and Indy is wondering, you know, am I the lost dreamer? Because I lost the ability to dream and nobody's ever heard of that happening before. So clearly something weird and special mm. is happening to me. Like clearly I'm important in some way, but I don't know what yet. Um, meanwhile, in, in Saya's timeline, like she has this necklace that she has to wear that her mom says is to keep her safe. Mm. And she just kind of doesn't question it. But then she does start to question it. <laughs> it is, it's very like yeah, as with yeah. the, as with the learning how to do magic. And I think this is where like I, I we were talking about this uh, in our slack and talking about other like fantasy touch points. And I think this is a book intended for a slightly younger audience than a Jemison, I think. Yes. And so a yeah. lot of the time, as sometimes happens in fantasy books for slightly younger readers sometimes just stuff just kind of yeah happens without being like meticulously explained because the people who were probably going to be reading it are probably not going to think about it too much they're well, just kind I, of reading a book where things happen you know what I, I think mean? there's i think there's also an age appropriate thing too where certainly when you're a you know a teenage reader or when you're in middle school like stuff just happens to you. Like the stuff world just happens. Like like I'm and I'm not I'm being kind of light about it, but like I think there is something true to the to the the age and experience of the of the reader and of a character of a similar age where it's like you're not in control of stuff and you're not part of this like meticulous plot and it's it's not like there's always a scheme that explains the stuff that happens around you and then you just react to it. Well, I mean, um, you, you and I know a certain five-year-old who one day is going to learn that she's not the protagonist of the entire universe, and it's gonna—it's. I don't want to be around for it. Like, it's gonna be—it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be a hard transition. There's gonna be a like an electrical synapse response to that. <laughs> real, that's gonna like short out an entire town in New Jersey. <laughs> like, it's gonna be WandaVision, is what it is. I—I've never seen that show. I—I I imagine that it's gonna be like WandaVision. Wow! Wow! Call, I haven't seen WandaVision either, so I can't even. So yeah, it's just like WandaVision. Welcome 100%. to our Marvel podcast. <laughs> Welcome to our TV podcast where we tell you what we think TV is probably like <laughs> without having watched it. <laughs> okay, so she's questioning the necklace. Well, so she's questioning everything. Like she is. She Whoa. is. She has been talking with some people in this community that they've been in for slightly longer than they stay in a normal community um, and sort of wanting for some more like companionship or, and, and for, for, for some more friendship. She, there's this incident with like this older lady who's cut her foot and somebody in the dream is like, yeah, give her this route and her foot will be fine. But then once you know, and so uh, Saya relays this to Sile, who is telling the old lady about it. And Saya realizes, oh, I didn't I did not get the, you know, the, the label off of this pill bottle. I don't know what to tell her to do with the room. <laughs> and so Sile just kind of makes it up on the spot. 
And then later when she's in the dream, she sees this old lady enter the dream because she is, she happens to have eaten this root that has like force you into the dream against the dreams will and kind of hurt the dream in doing it properties. Whoa. And that, that kind of shakes Saya up a little bit and it sets into motion like her talking to other people in the community and then very quickly like questioning her mother's authority, which she'd already been kind of starting to do in her mind because she's a teenager and that's what, yep. that's what you do. Yep. Um, but very quickly goes from under her, you know, fake mother's thumb. Oops, I spoiled the book. Um, to... <laughs> To independent of her and like scorning her and growing into her own person. Okay, cool. Um, which is which isn't not entertaining. It just feels a little. This is this is my main thing about the book, and maybe you've gotten this a little bit in some of the named characters who I've dropped, but especially in the very early part of the book, you just get you just meet a million people, and every one of them has like a four or five letter name with two or three vowels a piece in it and it is it is it just kind of gets confusing mm. to know like who you know who is who is talking who is you know who is this person to our like our main character there are people on on goodreads who are even saying you know the, the voices of Indy and Saya are so similar which I don't think is unintentional, but the voices are so similar that sometimes you do need to flip back to the start of the chapter so that you realize whose head you're in at a given moment. <laughs> like sure, Especially when you're just sure. talking about dream stuff. Um, well, and it seems like, so a lot of the folks um, that I saw writing about, you know, reviewing the book also kind of had a lot of interest in the world building and mm-hmm. interest in the systems being set up because they are kind of novel and they you don't encounter them in uh like every other fantasy book that you're reading it's neat stuff um but it also seems like there's it's the catch-22 of it kind of purpose some of the magic being purposefully nebulous right you need the dream sounds like it's a place where as you said like there's room for interpretation so to over explain it would actually kind of hurt its narrative power Mm -hmm. but then if you're going to spend a lot of time explaining a thing you don't want fully explained, <laughs> then you're also introducing a lot of characters and you you can't hammer out or you may you maybe don't want to hammer out like a really specific quest or something that might help anchor the reader. Is that well, maybe what happened or I mean my my issue is more with like we will, we will, you'll meet a character and their name will be kind of sort of a little similar to somebody you already know. So you mm-hmm. will, you know, you'll have known them for two chapters. You will have to be continuously reminding yourself, oh, that's this person. Sure. Um, and then they'll like die or apparently die. And mm. it's supposed to be an emotional beat. And it, it does, it d- does work with a couple of characters because you meet them early in the book and then their deaths or supposed deaths come late in the book after you've gotten a chance to like hang out with them and get a sense of them as characters, but way more often it's just asking you to like, okay, Saya meets a bunch of people because she is, you know, she's literally making friends for the first time ever. Yeah. And she just kind of is going off. Like she, she is her, a a big bird takes her necklace away. 
mm. because there's some like what it's, it's protecting her, but what is it protecting her from, and for what ah, reason? So sure. a big bird takes her necklace away, and so she doesn't have her necklace anymore, <laughs> and she's just kind of going off of her. Like suddenly, her dreams have become much more vivid. It's clear that it was. Maybe it was protecting her from something, but it was also restraining her abilities in some way. Ah. And so she's meeting all of these people, and she's never met people before ever mm. in her entire life. And she's kind of going off of, like, oh, my gut tells me I can trust this person. And this happens like eight times. Okay. <laughs> Where it's like we meet, like somebody, somebody wanders in from off screen who we've never met before. And she is suddenly like, oh, you're my best friend in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not literally like that but it's all it's you automatically are supposed to get the sense that she and whoever she is hanging out with for three days like develop this intensely close bond and then if something like maybe saya and this person have to part ways for a little bit maybe this person dies or seems like they die like the book is is trying to use those in emo- as emotional beats and it doesn't always work because sometimes as the reader, you're just going like literally, like literally who you are the, like the, the mm. fifth named cat person mm. who I have met. Most of the cat people just kind of have the same characteristics because there's cat people. <laughs> sure. And I can't, I have not gotten attached to you as an individual cat person. Okay. And so okay. I can't really be bothered to get sad that people think that you've died. Okay. You know what I mean? Like the, the character development just, and this sounds harsher than I, I think yeah, I sure. intended to yeah. be because it's, it's the main, it's the main thing that I think is wrong with the book. It's just like the, the characters who flit in and out, the characters who could have been condensed into, into mm. one, the characters who maybe didn't need to be there or who could have had a little bit more time spent on them. Like the, the book is pretty short. And I think what gets lost is mostly in the character building rather than the, the world building. Even though, like as, yeah. as scanty as the world building can be, I think it's, it could develop characters better and it just doesn't quite. And I think that's mostly why I didn't bounce off the book, but I didn't, I wasn't totally in love with it either. And I think that's kind of why is okay. I can, well, if I think back to it, I'll know the two named characters and I'll be interested in their arcs and, and I'll remember like the major beats of stuff that happened to them. But I will remember almost nothing about the other people in their, in their lives, like the secondary sure. characters. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about their arcs. That was a then. lot of talking. <laughs> that was a lot of talking. Sorry. No, it's okay. Um, I mean, I think, there's like it seems like some of that stuff stems out. I read a couple reviews that mention like found family in this book, which yeah. seems to have resonated for people. Yeah, there's and, there, there especially the first couple of people who Saya meets because yeah. she is making friends for the first time. Like there are some very sweet beats there, and that works better than works better than most of the like the one-off meet and greets that you get yeah, with folks. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that the, I saw, I think this is a San Diego union, San Diego union tribune article. Um, there's a longer name of a publication than I expected to say um, that it was, it also isn't a romantic 
like there's not a romantic plot as like a main driver of action where to said the book is above all love story to family i think so many ya novels deal heavily with romantic stories and there's a bit of that in here but i mainly wanted a love story to family to sisterhood to aunts because that's what i was raised with i was raised with these really strong women we don't always get along but we're always there for each other no matter what yeah there's Um, definitely elements of that in this for sure yeah and that seems to be what when people are uh praising this book they are like you know clocking into that it's the it's the connections between women it's that it is a type of love and a type of character connection that is not just driven by like oh a love interest happens and then a quest happens kind of thing mm-hmm. um but yeah so tell me more as we you know kind of come to a close i do want to hear about the twist which other people also seem to praise even when they're like you know maybe a little lukewarm in some of the spots that you were lukewarm Mm -hmm. like what is the arc of this book how does it reach this twist we can maybe put a big spoiler warning for people who might be interested if you feel like that's necessary so through the the book is uh 22 chapters 22 or 24 it's an even number because you get you know it alternates between the two perspectives and for the first probably 20 ish chapters you think that indy and saya are two people roughly the same age who are existing contemporaneously in the same world. Yeah. And they are going like it. Indy's track is that she has to leave Alcanza to save her. Cause there's this whole thing with, with Alcan where he is, you know, he knows that she has, she saw this like prophecy with the King when he died he knows a little bit about it, but he doesn't know enough about it. And he's kind of got it out for her as sure. well as having it out for like the dreamers as a, as like an institution. Um, like they could threaten his power. So, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, so she has to leave Akanza, and then there's also this lost dreamer character. It, it seems pretty clear. I, I it's, I think it, it becomes clear like through a dream or something, but, but the reader, as the reader, you're pretty sure that India is not the lost dreamer. Okay. Yeah. The titular lost dreamer. I think you get the sense that Saya, the person who doesn't really know a lot about her past, doesn't know her father, has a bad relationship with her mother, has been sort of walled off from the rest of the community of dreamers. Like you, you get the sense that she is the lost dreamer because she literally dreams, but she's like disconnected from. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, India's India's leaving at the same time as Saya is like setting out on her own and becoming her own person. And you I think the assumption that you come to from for most of the book is like these two people are going to find each other and. You know, and and they're going to go back to Alcanza and, and they're going to set in motion events that will, you know, bring us back to another period of of peace and prosperity right yeah and that does that is what happens oh but what you find out is that indy is saya's mom oh and the chapters that you've been reading about indy's life are actually happening like you know 16 17 years in the past whoa and so Sile took like she had befriended Indy and her uh, boyfriend husband who, who went from Alcanza with her to protect her. She was, uh, Indy was pregnant. Saya sort of helped her 
through the pregnancy, helped her through the birthing process and, but, but heard Indy in her, you know, like labor pains, fever talk, which <laughs> get ready, buddy. Oh man. <laughs> Cause there's some, <laughs> there's some stuff that happens. Uh, but anyway, so she's, she's doing her, her, uh, her labor pains, you know, I don't know what I'm saying talk. And she, she knows because her like unborn child pulled her into the dream. Indy at that point knows that her unborn child's lost dreamer. And she ah. like mentions this. Whoa. Out loud. And Celia is like, I don't know that I necessarily want this to happen. Cause it sounds like it could usher in some bad times. So I'm going to take this child. Oh, I'm going to run off and I'm going to raise it as my own. I'm just going to try and keep her from all the streamer nonsense. Okay. Um, and so they, yeah, they, they meet India's been mostly the, the gap in Indy's story between when she loses Saya, who's a few weeks old, I think at, at most when she gets taken to, when she meets Saya again as somebody who's roughly the age that she was in the earlier part of the book. Yeah. That like, you know, decade and a half, you just kind of don't know what she was doing the whole time. She was, you know, she was learning about the world outside of the temple. She's getting some, some street smarts. She's mm-hmm. getting strong, like physically stronger. She still can't dream, but she is, you know, she's making allies. She is, I think learning more about, uh, the different, you know, the different cultures in a way that is going to give her favors to call in when they go back to Alcanza and are trying to like liberate it and make things yep. right again. Yep. Um, it's kind of like how you don't really get to see Pride Rock when when Simba's hanging out with Timon and Pumbaa. You know I mean, how he you, grows you, up. You get to see it a little bit though. It's kind of it sucks. Well, yeah, but like you know how he ages. And you get to see like, a similar. You get to see a similar thing of. Akanza, where just like the water run ran out and everybody it's oh. sad but yeah no i know what you mean like you, there's just kind of he ages you, in that song you yada yada a couple of years, years when he's like walking across that log like swinging yep. his head to the song about how yep. he's not worrying about anything when he's turning from uh jonathan taylor thomas into ferris bueller right isn't mm-hmm. ferris bueller the voice of old simba man you gotta you gotta start checking your cultural references before you start making them because i can't double check you half the time yeah matthew broderick ferris okay. bueller mm-hmm. anyway um so you were saying no, I was. I think I'm t- <laughs> so How did we don't. That we don't. We don't have a. We don't. Indie seems like a, like the you know the, grown up Link version of herself. If we oh. want to bring like Ocarina of Time, like let's, yes. let's go back to video games. A more core competency for us. please. <laughs> you you know she's she's older. She's stronger. She's got more experience. She knows. How, she knows what's going on. How did you feel about that twist? In the moment, like when it clicked in for you, when the Tumblr lock clicked. I kind of saw it coming because in the couple of chapters that precede it, uh, Saya is talking to people, like spirits in the dream about her mother, Mm. and they keep saying weird stuff. And Saya keeps being like, well, that doesn't really make sense when applied to Sile. Huh, weird. I'm not going to... 
I don't have any follow-up questions. <laughs> well, yeah, and you, the reader, are going, you're looking through the list of characters in the book, and you're wondering, okay, well, where is this attention going to redirect? Yeah, you know? but I mean, I... I, I do don't think like that's a it. bad thing. It's no, just no, no. I, I do. I do like it as a twist. I do think it has the potential to the potential to to pay off in some interesting ways in in the second book. Um, yeah. But I don't know. They even have a but. It's just yeah. I liked it. I yeah. thought it was. I thought it was neat. It's a. It's a device that I don't think I've seen deployed in exactly this way before. So that's kind yeah. of cool and fun. Yeah, the the uh, we're not gonna tell you. We're gonna deliberately withhold the timeline information. Uh, yeah, I'll really say it, it takes a it takes a certain kind of of skill as a as a writer and as like you know as you're plotting the story out to keep this you know the the alternating chapter plates spinning for so long. Yeah. Without tipping your hand until pretty, you know, pretty close to when the actual information is supposed to come out. And, and and for some readers, I think especially some younger readers, like they're still not going to necessarily see it, see it coming. Whoa. Yeah. Right. What? Yeah. <laughs> but then there's all then there's also the fun part where if you do start to see it coming, then you can kind of like you have a chapter or two to go. Oh, that's kind of cool. what if that's what's happening? You well, I'm sure if I went like back to if guy. I went. Back to the beginning, there's probably a little breadcrumbs yeah. and things too that would be interesting to to suss out. Sure. Um, yeah, I I thought it was a it was a clever device. It's interesting. I mean, th- their reunion where Indy, I, I'm not sure if Indy knows that Saya is who she is when they first meet, but there's this little section where. Indy's just like, oh, I'm not, I, I don't have a name. I'm not going to tell you my name. It's not important right now. Like mm. she, she's got, there's a little bit of detachment, which seems, which seemed a little off to me because she talks about how her grief is so great that she's decided to like box it up into a little package and only feel sad like one day a month because <laughs> otherwise she would just be overrun by sadness all the time. Oh like it feels, it feels maybe like... <laughs> Like it doesn't have quite the emotional punch that mm. I want it to. Like Indy's just kind of like, oh yeah, I found you, and now I gotta go back and save my family. Like it is sure. I'm not gonna. It doesn't fall flat. It's just like like a lot of the book, it didn't quite have enough. Not enough, either. Not enough detail, or just not enough. Like not enough of a foundation built. You know what I mean? Like it just things happen without the amount of buildup that I need to be mm. there to really get the most bang for my emotional buck. Yeah. I, overall, I mean? the one of the other remarks I saw on this book was just uh, that it had a slower pace than you might expect from other, you know, YA adjacent fantasy stuff, mm-hmm. both in terms of like, it is less action packed. It is more just kind of like stuff's going to happen. As you've kind of said, it's not like it doesn't have the same sense of propulsion. Yeah. And even and if, if that's you, what you are, if that's what you need to keep going, then it might be a hurdle for you. And even if you look back at the other, like first books in series that we've read over the lifetime of the show, like usually 
there is some effort to have a bit some if if not the big bad who like goes back and like licks their wounds and then comes back yeah. as an even bigger bad like in a later book there's some kind of mini boss mm. that you have to defeat to get through the first book and they kind of the book has a rising action and then a confrontation and then denouement that also sets up the second book. And that's not really the, that's not the vibe here. Like, and and that's, it is interesting to me that this is set up to be two books when I feel like the trilogy is the coin of the realm. Like, yeah. In terms, not just in fantasy terms, but like every, like every movie series that, that happens. Like it is a, it's almost always a like this is a trilogy and then if it's successful enough we'll just keep going whatever. Yeah. But the like when you're talking about multi-part stories you're almost always talking about them in threes. Well, and, and it's this usually is, and this is and this is decided to be two and so it feels a little bit more like we talk we talked about this I think a lot in the the Dragon Tattoo books mm. but books 2 and 3 usually feel like two halves of a bigger thing. And this feels like two halves of a bigger thing. And this feels like it's two halves of a bigger thing instead of being like one standalone followed by two halves. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like instead of a if you make a reference to a TV show or movie I haven't I've never seen before, I can't (laughs) I can't correct you. I'm just letting you know. No, it sounds like this one. Um, and maybe you just didn't tell me how this plays out, but like it sort of feels like, in some books it is, oh my God, what's going to happen next mm-hmm. based on like a plot beat cliffhanger. And this feels like the reveal of the twist kind of leaves you in a like, what could happen next? Like, what what is what does this mean for these people now that they have this information as opposed to like, and now that this person is done, what do they have to do next? Does that make does that distinction make sense? I think I understand what what you're getting at. Like there is like the rules of the so, game have done change some, now. Sometimes you talk about a book as being like a page turner. Yeah. And you you're talking about when you when you talk about that it's because the book is compelling you to read as quickly as you can cuz you want to find out what happens next. Yeah. And in this book it's not that you don't want to find out what happens next. It's just taking its time a little bit more mm-hmm. about it though. I, I, that sounds like it runs counter to the, the, the criticism I've had of it this whole time, which is that there are <laughs> elements of it that aren't built up enough, but it's just like the, the stuff that it does cover, it covers in a sort of, of leisurely way. Like there, yeah. there's no, there's no incident where it feels like, you know, that the characters are getting, getting like chased from place to play. Like I think a chase is often how these books like create that sense of propulsion or like somebody's trying not to get caught by somebody else. Yeah. And even, even when Indy is like, Oh, King Alcan really sort of has it out for me and I need to go. It's not a thing where she like leaves in the middle of the night and suddenly her lives change. Like she hangs out for like two or three days, just like doing (laughs) stuff with her sisters and, and like getting ready and, and having this like budding romance with her, like your her boyfriend characters. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. You do want to you you want you want to know what happens next. You want to turn the pages. It's a. 
every book is a page turner insofar as you need to physically <laughs> oh turn God. more pages to find out what happens next. But it's not a thing where I put this down and I was like desperate to mm. get back to it because I needed to know what happens next. So so in that sense, yeah, I think I think I know what you're getting at, and I hope that the listeners do too. Sure. But yeah, you're you're definitely right that it is it's it's less insistent that you like pay attention to what's going on. It's, it's yeah. more. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I, I meant even specifically as setting up the next book. It's like, it, it's not like a dun, dun, dun. It's just, it's not a oh, dun, wow. dun, dun. It's, it's just different like, now. Yeah. It's well, or it's just like, I could turn the page and just the next chapter of this book that I've been reading this whole time could be there. Would like there, there is not a, it doesn't go out of its way to create this huge cliffhanger. I mean, like there, there is a cliffhanger, but it's sort of a mild kind of thing. It's like if a show was being a two-parter and it did have it to be continued, but there wasn't like some rising action, like climax thing that happens. It was just like yeah. the show went like part one went to a normal commercial break and then just didn't come back. Yeah. Okay. Okay, <laughs> it's just more book. It's mm-hmm. just more mm-hmm. book. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for telling me about your dreams, Andrew. Yeah, I I hope you didn't get. I hope you didn't get too lost. No, I di- I don't think I did. That's good. Um, but anyway, if you the listener want to tell us about your cool dreams, um, you can send us an it's email at overduepod at gmail dot com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. At Overdue Pod. Thanks to Martha, Amber, Kate, Lee, John, Nora, Ariel, and many more for reaching out to us. Our theme song was composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? OverduePodcast.com is the place where they go. That's our internet website. Up there, we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Did we read our September schedule last week? Yeah, but I'll read it again real quick. Coming All up right. next week, we're I think we're going to be talking about Con Air. Uh, the novelization, the novelization of, of the movie Con Air, um, which is about a plane transporting criminals that is yeah. almost instantaneously taken over by the criminals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about The House of Pomegranates uh, by Oscar Wilde uh, and then Among Others by Joe Walton. Oh, I thought and that was a sequel to Among Us. I'm going to airlock you the so video hard. <laughs> <laughs> then we're going to round out the month uh, with another uh, entry in the Goosebumps on the main feed. Patreon.com slash Overdue Pod is how you support the show financially. Buy us the books that we need to keep reading, to keep the show going. Buy us hosting. Buy us, uh, I don't know, equipment. Uh, yep. Craig recently upgraded his laptop for the first time in like a hot decade. And that was yeah. done in part thanks to the generous support of patrons like you. Uh, in exchange, you get access to our Discord server, uh, bonus episodes early, including those Goosebumps episodes, and access to bonus recordings. I think as you are hearing this, we will have just yeah. recently done a bonus episode recording uh, for the for the cookbook Beard on Bread by James yeah. Beard, which is about a man who likes to make bread. Yeah. And I, I'm sure we haven't done it yet as we were recording this, but I'm sure it's a, it sure is a great time. I bet it's a great time. <laughs> I bet it was a great time. Uh, okay, everybody. Until we talk to you next week, thank you so much for listening, and please try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>